what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. And you'll come to find that those other people will feel the same way about you. So it's, in a way, it's like you're constantly practicing failure and self-discovery, which I think is one of the best parts of dating. All right. Welcome back to Meet Bridget. This week, we're back with a partner episode. Kashia and I are here together. Kashia, obviously, is our COO of Bridget. I'm CEO. And together, we started this platform, Bridget, to help teen girls establish confidence and communication. This is our podcast, Meet Bridget. If you're new, welcome. If you're returning, we're so glad you're here. If you'd like to hear part one of our conversation was episode 51, where we, we talked about relationships in the context of friendships, but also personal relationships. And this week, we thought we'd dive in a little bit more to our romantic relationships. Obviously, there's a lot of crossover between our friendships and romantic relationships in terms of just general communication practices, self-respect and respect for our partners. But for romantic relationships, there's a few more things that we really wanted to talk about. So we thought we'd dive in and start with five tips that we, the two of us agree on in our experience for strong romantic relationships, just best practices, things that we feel like really have contributed to healthy romantic relationships for us and for our friends. And then we wanted to, to go through, you know, some issues, things that to watch out for when we're working through maybe problems in our relationships romantically, and then also some hard red flags, things that you really want to be wary of if you're noticing them in your relationships. And then we wanted to round it out by talking a little bit about breakups. And if you get to the point where you have to break up with someone or you have been broken up with, what are some pointers around that? So really, we're diving right into romantic relationships. Um, hi, Kishi. It's good to see you. <laughs> hi, Ash. It's good to see you. Thanks, everyone, for jumping back on and joining us. We got such great feedback about the initial relationships episode. And so I think, you know, we're both really excited to talk about something that we are not claiming to be experts in, but I would say we both have had both sides of the spectrum, dated a lot, kissed a lot of frogs, <laughs> and now find ourselves in long-term relationships with partners who, you know, really complement us in our lives. And so we wanted to impart whatever knowledge we had in the context of strong communication skills and, you know, how to advocate for yourself best. Yes. So why don't you tell our listeners perhaps for like the newer listeners, sort of like your situation and I'll touch on mine and then we can dive right in. Yes. Okay. So my situation now, I'm married now for over three years. We just had our second daughter and the relationship that I'm in now is unlike any I have ever experienced, which is why I married him. But I feel like I'm very grateful to have had some not so great experiences dating because when I met my current husband, I really saw the positives and the healthy things about our relationship. They were crystal clear to me because they were contrasted by some things that weren't so great in past relationships. So yeah, I, I deeply love my husband and have learned so much from him. And 
you know, it hasn't all been sunshine and daisies, like no relationship ever is. But really, I think that the good far has outweighed the bad. And we've stuck through a lot of, you know, tough and joyous things together. So I'm grateful to be in in my relationship. Yeah, I think you and Andrew possess this like really strong and steady quality that just like emanates off of you guys while still being fun and outgoing and carrying all the um what I'm sure is happy chaos, but chaos of two babies close in yeah. age and both in different stages and everything and and businesses and work. So I have been with my husband Kevin now for a decade, like not even joking. Yeah. We started out as friends. I actually had no idea he was interested in me at first. And, you know, it blossomed into this romantic partnership and we eventually got married. And now here we are expecting our first baby. So for anyone that knows us personally, Kevin and I can be quite cynical and we love bickering with each other. But at the end of the day, we have a really strong partnership. I think we both have so much fun laughing with each other, problem solving, and just kind of forging forward. And so we've definitely been met with obstacle, well, obstacles. (laughs) And um, (laughs) before Kev, I dated a lot of frogs, some good frogs, some bad frogs. (laughs) And so I, I would love to share you know, my experiences in any way that that could help somebody. Yeah. One thing I love about your and Kevin's relationship is I've always noticed like you guys, yes, you do kind of like have that funny way of like joking with each other. Like banter. Deeper than anything. I can just so tell even the way that you look at each other that you just mutually admire each other so much. Like there are qualities that each of you admires in the other and you can just like see it in so many ways. I think that, that that leads really well into our first tip for a strong and healthy romantic relationship is always assuming the best about your partner. I think that it is so important, I mean, in your mind to assume the best about your partner, but also when you're publicly, you know, you're in the world with your partner, I think that it's it's so important to always be lifting your partner up. It's tempting, I think, to like vent negative things about our partners to the world. But from my experience, when you're doing that, I think it's a sign that you don't have healthy communication to your partner. There always are things we're with our best friends. It's like we need help working through something in our relationship. And that I think there's a place for that when you're talking with your friends, you know, in confidence, trying to get help working through something in your relationship. But I think in general, if you're bitching about your, your relationship in front of other people. A, it makes other people uncomfortable. But B, I just think it's, I don't know, it can be kind of like a downward spiral. And it, I think it represents not really being able to what bothers you. I think in a way too, it's, it's disrespectful to your partner. I mean, uh-huh. when you're venting, there's a difference between venting and confiding in one person. Like, confiding in one person like, hey, I'm going through this struggle and I'd love to get your feedback as opposed to putting your partner on blast in front of your friends. There's a big difference between like what I was saying, playful banter and deliberately saying something negative about your partner. If Kev were to go around other people and say things that were negative about me to his friends, I'd feel so bad about myself because one, 
in a strong relationship, I think you should always have or strive to have the type of partnership where you come to each other first with those conflicts and communicate openly about them. But also it's just nobody wants to feel like somebody's talking shit about them, especially the person that they love and care about the most. I feel like especially when I feel like some of the worst cases is like when you're in public and even your partner's with you. Like I feel I don't know why we do this. I've done it before, but like you're trying to communicate something to your partner and for some reason it feels easier to like passively do it by telling whoever you're with about it and like knowing your partner will hear it, you know, yeah. rather than just like you know ha- facing the hard stuff and sitting down and like talking to your partner about something that is really bothering you or whatever. But that, yeah, that like using the public glass to kind of deliver something that's uncomfortable, I feel like it just never ends well. And it, no one wants to hear that stuff either. It makes other yeah. people uncomfortable. I mean, some folks, <laughs> some folks have, have the types of relationships or thick skins, if you will, where I think if I were to say this to certain people that I know, they'd probably be like, oh, well, that's just our relationship. We just yeah. tease each other. We just bicker with each other. But I do think that there's a line because when you're, on the outside and you're looking at two people who are hearing these situations happening, it sort of starts to become tit for tat. And um, it does, like you said, it spirals into like this unhealthy, like, well, you said this, or you did this, or you did that, as opposed to just clear and direct communication and mutual respect for one another. Yeah. I think you make a really good point that there is a line. Like you can like poke little like fun. I think it can be like kind of flirty in a way to like Mm -hmm. fun at your partner when you're around others. But I think that like when you're genuinely like airing grievances publicly or or saying things that would actually hurt someone's feelings, you got to kind of realize when, when you're doing that. I think in the same way, I think that there's a place for like publicly praising your partner. Like I love to build Andrew up when we're together. And, you know, I think that praise in general, you know, when, especially like when it's real praise, you know, not just saying things for the sake of saying them, but things that you genuinely like appreciate. I think it's great when it's delivered privately and directly to your partner. But I also, I don't know, I I don't think it hurts to when you're in public being like, you know, I'm constantly, I really do feel like my husband is such an incredible dad and that he takes so much joy in it. And I like telling my friends about it. Like, oh my gosh, Andrew took the girls, you know, to a private little coffee date this morning. And it was so sweet. He's so, such a good dad. Like I like, I like building him up in front of our friends like that. I don't know. I, I think that that's, um, that's something that he's appreciated too. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. He is, he is a really great dad. I could see Kevin doing that as well, which is really cute. But yeah, I agree with you. I think being yeah. able to take the time to focus on the positives and, you know, again, assuming the best about your partner and putting that foot forward. I think that this also plays into like assuming the best about your partner you know, when you feel really strongly for a person, and I've had learned this through experience, but when you, you fall really hard for someone, it's easy to start feeling like jealous, just because you're trying to protect your own emotions. And wondering like, okay, does that person really feel as strongly about me as I do them? Are they talking to other people? Are they this? Are they that? You know, should I be worried about this? I think that a really wise friend told me one time, she's like, the things that have really broken your heart, are rarely ever the things that you worried about in advance or you anticipated. Like when your (laughs) heart gets broken or when just in general, when like life trips you up, how often has it been something that you're like, oh, you know, that I knew that was coming. You know, it's very, very rare. 
So I think that just assuming the best about your partner and just standing in your integrity and, you know, being okay with trust. Obviously, if like someone is, if there are like red flags that someone is giving you grounds and signs that they are being unfaithful or whatever, yeah. listen to your gut. But I think in general, if you have no signs that someone is not holding up their end of the relationship, then just like assume the best, you know, like if your heart does get broken, my mom has told me that she's like, if your heart does get broken, would you rather have stooped down to the level where you're like checking their phone and, you know, like snooping around? Oh, that's the worst. And accusing them and stuff and not being yourself. Or would you rather have just been like, I did everything that I could. I trusted this person and they broke my heart. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think your heart gets broken. So you might as well just like stand in your integrity and assume the best. This kind of brings me back a little bit before we move on to number two to like the early days of dating and relationships where you're not feeling as confident in yourself. And so you do project that lack of confidence onto your romantic relationships. And again, it's a situation where when you are questioning your value in a relationship, you might be doing it to the point that you don't realize it's affecting the other person. And I've actually been in that situation where I've had somebody ask me, do you even like me? And it was somebody that I was really, really into at the time. And I realized in retrospect that at that time I was so consumed with, you know, self-doubt that I wasn't really ready to be in a the type of reciprocal relationship where I could be available to somebody and assume the best about them because I was projecting all of the bad things about myself that I thought about myself onto that relationship. Take number one with like, you know, not a grain of salt, but take it for what it's worth. And when you apply it, I would really think about you know, where you're at in your life and, you know, how you think about yourself before you start to put that foot forward. Yeah. I think that that's a really good point that all of these pointers, again, we are not professionals. We're not therapists. And these are things that we've learned mostly through failing and learning them the hard way. So I think that's a really good point that it's like, sometimes you're going to like take a pointer, like any of these. And if it doesn't feel like it applies, it doesn't mean that you're like, a crap person in a relationship. It's just, you know, maybe there's some learning that can be done because you've had to learn. I love number two, learn your love languages, including your partners. Yes. So this doesn't mean anything to you. There is a book called The Five Love Languages. And before you knock it, it is a quick read. I think I read the whole thing in one airplane trip. And I made, I made Andrew take the, the quiz. I didn't make him read the whole thing, but I had him take the quiz. And then I told him about what I read. And I seriously believe that doing the practice of identifying your love languages, there are five of them. So for each one, if your love language is one of these things, it usually also means that that is how you tend to express love. So for words of affirmation, if you, it's important for you to hear, I love you, I appreciate you, you're really great, whatever it is. For words of affirmation, it probably also likely means that if that's important to you, you express your love in that way. Another one is quality time, just spending time together. Another is physical touch. Another is acts of service. And the final one is, I think, giving and receiving gifts. How do you identify? 
Uh, my number one is definitely physical touch. I'm like a little koala. I need to have my hand held in public. I need to like cuddle. I need physical intimacy. I am a big physical touch huggy person. And I found it interesting that that was number one for Andrew too. So that's great for us. <laughs> but I think my number two was giving and receiving gifts. And I think that one gets like kind of a, it gets kind of like a, a knock. Sometimes people are like, oh, like you're shallow or vain. You need gifts. And I mean, maybe, yes, maybe I am vain. But I do think that there is something too. For me, it's like I love receiving a gift, but it's more about like the thought that someone went through to like make that gesture and think about something that I would enjoy. And I, at the same time, really genuinely, I love picking out a special gift for someone or thinking about something that would make them really feel special, whether it's a birthday gift, like a really nice, cool thing, or like picking a flower for them and writing them a note, you know? You're actually a great gift giver. And I have to say that like, your explanation of this is very apropos. One of my favorite gifts I've ever gotten was a birthday gift from you from India, where you found this like beautiful leather bound book of female only poets and had it engraved with my name on it. And I thought, one, not only is that so thoughtful, but you took the time to think about something that would be not just special, but very particular to the place you were visiting from and also spoke to the fact that I love the written word. Like I write my own poetry. So it was it was a very well thought out gift. And I think that's the point of that being your love language is not the not the physical transaction or the tangible transaction of like a material object, but that thought that goes into it and like the meaning behind it. It's very symbolic. Yeah, it's like the time taken to Yeah. And that's a thing. Like not everyone's like that, but that's I I like receiving that kind of thing too, but that's also how I express it. And I think my number three was words of affirmation. Like I like to I like to communicate, you know, which is a big part of what we do at Bridget. But mm-hmm. interestingly enough, for Andrew, number one was physical touch. Number two, I think, was quality time, and then number three was words of affirmation, or maybe those two were switch. But like number five for him was giving and receiving gifts. So that's been a thing that we have to like, I've had to communicate to him that like, okay, this might not be super important to you, giving and receiving gifts. Um, but for me, like that's a big way that I feel, I feel loved is to like have that be part of our relationship. So it's been helpful to have like gone through and identified these things. And in the same way, like I think quality time for me was like down low on the list. Because I'm like, I, I don't know, like just sitting together on the couch. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking or like touching, I guess I'm like, I'm like, oh, quality time is just like, might as well be physical touch, I guess. But I've had to find out that like, no, like he likes to just like go to dinner and like talk and like have some quiet time together at home. And that that means a lot to him. So that's been our and You experience. have to force <laughs> yourself through it. <laughs> I'm like, why are, why are we not like cuddling though? <laughs> That's really funny. It, it's been a little while since we've done ours, but I know acts of service, I think is probably one of like, it's either like number one or two for both of us. Like I am by nature, somebody that is just like a doer. So for anybody that I love and like, by the way, these love languages translate like across the board. This is not just in the sense of romantic relationships, but like for people that I love, like I will just, that's how I express my love is like, what can I do for you? How can I make you feel special? How can I help in this moment kind of thing? 
And Kev, I think, is very much the same way. Like when he, <laughs> when, yeah, I mean, we, I'm thinking about it. I've seen, yeah, that. he's definitely a doer. I think my second is communication. So I like to talk about things. I like to talk about the way that I'm feeling. I like to express to him, like, to great lengths, like how much I love him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, today's his birthday. So I'm going to write him a long ass letter. Vows. <laughs> um, oh my gosh, your vows. Yeah. So, and then whereas Kevin is his number two, I think is like, I don't know, physical touch probably. And then that would probably be my third. I think his last is also gift giving. And it, I think it might be mine too. So I, it's been a while, but yeah, we definitely focus on acts of service for each yeah. other. And one of the points I have to make about this in terms of like gift giving and the fact that like the middle qualities are sort of flipped for all of us is that it takes a little extra communication to meet each other halfway. So it's like, I like speaking to him about things, whereas he's a lot more introverted in that sense. So he'd rather just be like, here, I did this for you. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I think it's yeah. like if you're in a relationship, especially for relationships where it's like you've been together for a little while and you might be like, kind of like, you know, you deeply love that person and you're committed to them, but you're like experiencing some friction, you know, or like feeling like you can't get through about something. I think going through this practice can help you realize like, okay, maybe this underlying thing about the way we express and expect to receive love, like maybe it would be worth us talking about our why, you know, like mm -hmm. maybe why this is the way I am and the way I really like expect to be loved. And this is how I like to show my love. What about you? And really just kind of gaining that fundamental understanding. I think it's a, it's a good place to go if you're yeah, kind of it, it's a really good practice in empathy, you know, with your partner. And empathy doesn't require anything of you except for understanding where another person is coming from. You don't have to agree with it. But I think just walking yourself through this practice enables you to be like, oh, okay, where I would like, you know, this combination of A, B, and C, my partner actually looks at it as like C, A, B, D, and I have to just meet them halfway. Because at the end of the day, a relationship is a partnership. It should be reciprocal. Like the energy you put into something is the energy you deserve right back and vice versa. Yeah. And I think too, it's worth saying that a big realization and learning from being in relationships, I know that I feel I've had is that you can't go into a relationship or even just sustain a relationship expecting to really like fundamentally change someone. I think that really having a strong relationship, part of that is realizing how that person is different from you and figuring out the ways that you can like incorporate and celebrate that rather than being like, no, we need to be exactly the same. That being different fundamentally from someone, as long as like you're both respecting each other, it can actually really, you know, add a lot of like interest and spice to your relationship. That's such a good point because I feel like when you're young and you're just starting out, you're just dating people and getting to know people, I think our natural inclination is to look for people who have the same interests as us, who, you know, think about things in the same way. They have similar experiences. And there's a lot to that. But I think like, especially as we've gotten older and, you know, you enter into different types of relationships, you come to understand that even in your romantic relationship, having the same 
basis in certain things is not as necessary as being able to understand and meet each other halfway. I think, you know, like for me, Kevin and I have very similar fundamental values about family and the way that we think about our actions and how they impact other people. And that's much more important to me than the fact that like he's super naturally athletic and I'm not, or he grew up on the East Coast and I grew up on the West Coast. Like we're very, very different people. And I get a lot of enjoyment out of that, actually. I think that's like one of the best parts of our relationship is that it's complementary and not, we're not like too similar. (laughs) Yeah, that's the word. (laughs) Okay. So sorry, we had a little break. This is the reality of us recording right now with a newborn and with Keish pregnant. So little breaks, but we are back. And we want to hop right back in with our third tip for healthy romantic relationships, which is to be a good listener. To be totally frank, I feel like this is something that I'm really working on continuously. I think it's like I can't stress the importance of being a good listener enough. And I, the people that I know who are really masters of listening, it's something that I so admire. So I think you're a great listener. I also think that you have a quality that I'm sure a lot of people can relate to where you're such a curious mind that I know whenever we're having a conversation or whenever you're having a conversation, you're internally processing and thinking of the next thing that you want to contribute to the conversation. That's just my observation. But I feel like, especially in romantic relationships, like I tend to do the same thing. And so one of the things that kind of like helps bring it back is, you know, one, keeping that mantra in mind, just deliberately being like, if I want to have a relationship that's reciprocal and successful, part of that means taking a pause and just taking the time to listen and absorb the information before you start going through the thought process of what your response is. And like, That might sound confusing because, of course, you have to listen to what the other person's saying and then respond. But I think the trick is like that pause is just pausing to hear it, then absorb it, then respond, as opposed to hearing and absorbing at the same time and responding like right after. Totally. And I I think that even if you're like listening and taking it in and really giving being in the present moment with someone leaving that space between, you know, that person finishing and your response. I don't know. I feel like people who regularly do that, it, I really notice it. And it's like, it, it gives you freedom to communicate. And I, I don't know. I think it just, it tells someone that you're giving them space and that you're, you're really taking time to take in what they're saying. So this is definitely something that I feel like I could improve on. And I think that that point of being a good listener really comes down to giving your partner space mm-hmm. and being in the moment with them. Like being a good listener really just means that you are present with someone and not somewhere else, not three steps ahead, not four steps behind, not in your email inbox, but like right with your partner in the moment. And, you know, I think that listening well can also like surprise you and take your conversation and your connection somewhere that you might not even have anticipated. Oh, totally agree. Totally agree. This is something that's funny to practice too, because I sometimes I find myself, especially nowadays, being nine months pregnant. <laughs> when I have a conversation with Kevin, I'm really trying to listen. And then like 
trying to compute what my response is going to be <laughs> afterward. Sometimes the break is a little too long and he's like, okay, are you here? Are you? And I'm like, no, I'm totally hearing you. It's just taking me a little bit longer to like hear you and then like think about what my response is going to be. From a mom perspective, I'm like, my brain just short wires. Yeah. Okay, wait. <laughs> It's it stopped. I have words. Yeah, I have words in my brain. I promise. Yes. They're just. Trying to <laughs> I'm like just stare. At, he's like, what? 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 You're like it's while just... you're short circuiting. <laughs> but that's the beauty of this. Is like the more you practice this with your partner. I mean, you get these intimate moments of like laughter where your partner's like, okay, what's going on here? Are you like, did you just like short circuit? Like what's? But at the end of the day, this is a practice that I find so essential to Kevin and I having successful communication. And it like gives us space and time to just sit with each other for like five seconds. And even if the response isn't immediate, like in the thick of a crazy day, it's at least deliberate and intentional and like well thought out. I think that a lot of times in relationships too, especially for women, I think men are a little bit more like results and um, action oriented. But I think that with women, so this kind of goes to friendships and stuff too. A lot of times when we're working through an issue, it's like sometimes you just want someone to like hear you out and hear you kind of like go through what you're dealing with and just be an ear and vice versa. You know, sometimes it's just nice to ask your friend a question and then just sit there and let them let them say what they need to. So I think that especially with women jumping to like fix what's what they're dealing with before they're really even done processing it isn't always helpful. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. I also want to make the point that like Kevin and I have completely different communication styles, which can be challenging at times. Like there have been moments where I've been like, okay, I'm not really hearing what you're saying. So like, can we just rewind and go back? Or what are you trying to say? And so it takes so much practice and just Actually being present, like Asha said, and and listening really gives you the time to cue into what is this person trying to express? Are they saying everything that they need to say? Am I hearing everything that they're saying to me? And at the end of the day, like just, you know, listening comes down to like pausing and and being present. And it starts to become fun after a while because you like really develop a strong partnership and relationship and camaraderie with the other person, regardless of what. Kev is more a man of few words, and I'm more a <laughs> of a talker. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's common with our, it, uh, it ends up being a, it ends up being like a fun challenge of getting to know each other better as we grow and evolve over time. Yeah. I mean, a lot of my friends have husbands or men that are not necessarily super forthcoming with their mm -hmm. emotions. Like when there is really something that's bothering them, you kind of have to like reel it in nice and slowly <laughs> and like get them to kind of get to what's really bothering them, especially in times of conflict, which is inevitable. Mm -hmm. I've found that taking time, even being like, okay, I want to hear what you're saying, you know, and like, letting them explain something or say whatever their piece is and then just be like, okay, I'm going to take five minutes and just like step outside for a minute and try to put my thoughts together and then come back. I think that that's part of listening too, is like just giving that space in your conversation to mm -hmm. just 
make sure what you're going to say is is what you feel, which kind of leads us into yes. the next point, which is on clear communication. So once you're really, you've taken the time to listen with your partner, you've made eye contact when you're communicating with them, which is so huge. When you actually are communicating with them, what types of best practices are you using when you are talking with your partner? One of my favorites is regularly expressing appreciation because it's little things, you know, that we do for each other because we love them. Those little things, sometimes when they're, they become part of your daily routine or whatever, it's easy to take them for granted, but yeah, we forget expressing appreciation, like takes nothing. Like, thank you for making that cup of coffee for me. Yeah. You know, or whatever it is, little, little things, or, or you did really, I saw that you worked really hard on your work project today and that's so awesome. Just yeah. little little acts of praise and appreciation for your partner, I think, can go a really long way. I totally agree. I mean, I think anyone who is close to anyone can really relate to this. Like, even if you put this in the perspective of like, you know, how you are with your siblings or parents or close friends, I think the people closest to us, we often take for granted the little things which are so significant and important. Like Asha said, it could come down to a cup of coffee or like, you know, Kev opening the door for me because I, you know, my hands are full. It's just taking the time to say thank you goes a long way. And I think when that's reciprocated, it makes you feel really good. Like if I do something, again, I'm an acts of service person. So if I do something and Kev, you know, comes out of nowhere and is like, thank you, I think that was really amazing or that was really helpful or whatever it you know it kind of takes me back because it's like I'm not you're not necessarily doing it for the recognition but the fact that that person appreciates the action and there's an impact made is the endorphins get flowing <laughs> they do and, and honestly it's like like selfishly it's a really great way of reinforcing the things that you really love and like happening that's a you good know, point like, training someone <laughs> I mean, it sounds terrible. Like, you know, you know, our partners aren't like dogs, yeah. but we like, I, it's the same way for me when yeah. someone expresses appreciation for me doing something and I feel like the time and effort that I've spent doing something yeah. for my partner, I get appreciation for that. I'm like, oh, they noticed that. Yeah. Like, I want to do that time now. It made them feel good. I don't think it's bad. I think it's like, you're not training each other per se, but you are teaching the other person how you prefer, you know, things in your world and you're learning from them what they like as well and I think that's part of that expression of appreciation actually like feeds into this bigger like biofeedback loop of like okay well like now I understand my husband likes his coffee this way and now he knows that like I really appreciate it when he puts the toilet seat down so I don't fall into the toilet in the middle of the night. It's like little things like teach us how to be around other people. It's like the same as, you know, raising children and teaching them via action and positive feedback, like what the right and wrong way to do things are or, you know, whatever. So it reminds me of one of my favorite books is by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm -hmm. The first time I read this book, I think it was in like sixth grade, a point that really stuck with me was that we think positive things about people and the things around us all the time. Throughout the day, we have these thoughts and the majority of them, we just kind of internalize or we assume that the person thinks that like already knows how we feel about something. My favorite point in the book was that like the second you have a positive 
feeling about anyone, especially your partner, but even like a stranger in a grocery store, there is no reason for you not to voice it because, you know, in reality, people don't read your mind and they don't know what the things are that you really appreciate about them. So say gratitude for anyone when you're feeling it, but especially for your partner when you're with them day in and day out. Another point that we were talking about as we prep for this was how important our language is specifically. I know we are a podcast about language and we're really passionate about how deliberate communication can really transform your relationships. A word that is particularly destructive in relationships is the word should. It's easy to fall into thinking what your partner should or shouldn't be doing to make your life better. But, you know, you can actually really communicate the same thing without making someone feel attacked or guilty or full of shame. This is sort of also a a cognitive behavioral therapy thing and in thinking about the way that we approach problems and approach the world is when you utilize words or techniques like should, you're sort of feeding into this like mind reader or anticipatory like frame of mind where we can't really help everything that should be happening or could be happening and we can't read other people's minds. And that translates into relationships as well. I think what we're trying to say here is when you're communicating, keep in mind that those things are very human to do. We think about the future. We percolate over like the different scenarios that might be going on in our head. But in order to reinforce strong communication, if we can recognize those patterns in ourselves and just kind of reel it back in a little bit and, you know, catch yourself, remind yourself like, one, I can't control the future and all situations like outside of my body. So if I have something to communicate, I can communicate it clearly in a way that presents it as, you know, I feel like this or this is what I would like to see. And, you know, sometimes these things may come off as passive aggressive or, you know, maybe taken in the wrong way at first, but that's part of practicing clear communication is the more you do it, the more your partner will recognize or the person you're talking to will recognize, okay, they're just being straightforward and this is a conversation as opposed to like a therapy session where you're you're telling me things that like I'm supposed to interpret because that's not the goal either. Yeah, I think you can definitely get carried away you making it like overthinking things yeah. and then you get so like choppy with your language that's like what's happening robot <laughs> i think that the point that you made standing in your eye like i feel yeah. it goes to that point that it's like really at the end of the day the only things that you can control are your own actions and then your reactions exactly. to the world are so instead of saying you need to do this or you never do this or you used to be like this and now you don't do this Instead of focusing on someone else, just saying like, I, you know, I feel really seen when we are able to connect at the end of the day. And I don't feel like that's been happening recently, you know, or I would love if we had more time together doing this thing and keeping it kind of more positive and how you feel like owning your feelings rather than being accusatory in any way. I feel like that people connect to that because it's vulnerable and it's hard because we're not used to talking like that. I feel like we don't hear a lot of people talking like that these days straight from, you know, their own agency. It's hard to be accountable too, which I think is really admirable. Like just taking the step to be accountable for how you feel, how you're thinking. And then just, you know, it can be scary 
because being accountable and being vulnerable mean that there's a risk of somebody being like, oh, I don't agree. And then the worst thing that could happen, happen, you know, the other person doesn't agree with you, but you've spoken your truth and gotten it out there and you've been genuine to your own thoughts and feelings and communication can commence from there. So yeah, I think clear communication is the harder road and it has to be practiced. But I think Asha and I both feel adamantly, if you haven't listened to all 54 of our other episodes just yet and haven't had this like drilled into you bias, but I think communication is like the groundwork and foundation to all good things in, yeah, in life. All connections yeah. to one another, really. Exactly. Honestly, I think that actually connects us to our fifth tip, <laughs> which is creating and prioritizing time for intimacy. So, of course, we think intimacy in relationships and we think of like physical intimacy, which is important, but also emotional in- intimacy. And I think that in order to really establish clear communication, sometimes having that emotional intimacy needs to precede having you know, a really effective communication, sitting down with your partner, holding their hands, looking in their eyes before you deliver something that might be kind of difficult can go so much further. Just sitting down, being vulnerable, facing them, giving them space can really give you a foundation for a better connection when you're, when you're communicating, but then also that physical intimacy. And I'll tell you, you know, in the beginning of your relationship, I feel like with most of the beginnings of my relationships, it's like physical intimacy is just like a given. It's like our time together is physically intimate because that's that stage. But as you get married and spend a lot more time together and especially throwing kids in the picture, sometimes you really have to like plan time to have non physical intimacy. And it doesn't mean it can't be, you know, just as fulfilling, but it takes a little bit more planning and work and prioritization for sure. A hundred percent. I also think that there are small ways that you can show this because like, let's be real, like 10 years in, relationships go through waves. And I think Kevin and I have a great relationship intimately and not intimately. But like even on the days where it gets super crazy, it can be so meaningful just to have him like lean over and like snuggle me in bed for like 30 seconds and then just be like, okay, now we're going to go dive into the trenches and like get the day going. and. That's incredibly intimate because it's just like a moment where it's the two of us connecting. I think it's just thinking about it and making it a deliberate part of like coming full circle, that appreciation and that communication and just making sure that you actually make the time and space for all of these things because the road to hell is laden with good intentions. It's like you can have all of the intentions to like be a good communicator and a good listener and know each other's love languages and everything. But at the end of the day, if you're not making space for that to actually happen and like taking that like small step to be there and meet each other like eye to eye, then none of it's going to work. Yeah. And I think, I think you made such a good point saying that it doesn't have to be like these big grand things or gestures like, oh, when I get a little bit more time off of work, like I really want to like take my husband or wife out on a trip and we'll go out to dinner and we'll finally have time together. Like literally it can be that one little moment, like a squeeze of the hand and be like, you know, I know we're both really stressed out right now, but I'm so glad you're in it with me Yeah. or a little just a smile or a look, honestly, but yeah. it be every day, really, I think that there is in any relationship, no matter how hard you're working, 
what you're doing, what your schedules are. You can find moments in your day that make your partner see, feel seen and heard. I think that that's just, I mean, it's the reason that we're in relationships. So creating and prioritizing that time for intimacy. I think my favorite, and I, I would classify this as a form of intimacy, but like when something happens and Kevin and I have, even though we're very different communicators, like there are these like points of cynicism and like, you know, just our senses of humor overlap in like a very specific way. And so when something happens and you, we just look at each other and like, we know like, oh God, what's happening right now? Like, that's the best. <laughs> and Honestly, I, I feel like humor yeah. is like a form of intimacy, really. It's like connector. Just back to that playful banter and also just, you know, not taking life too seriously. But, you know, making sure that you take those moments to acknowledge that your partner is right there with you in those times that are humorous, sad, happy, whatever, like tragic, like that is just as intimate as making sure that you have time for all of the the other fun stuff. Okay. Well, from there, I think it'd be valuable to jump back a little bit. We're talking about what makes a really strong, good, long-term relationship. But before you find that person, most of us really have to date. And it can be really fun, but it can also be really, really difficult. And navigating dating, the fun times, but also the failed relationships, Maybe we talk a little bit about that journey of dating and what there is to be learned from it. Yeah, 100%. For the record, I mean, I don't want to date myself too much. I did say that Kevin and I have been together for, you know, almost 10 years now. So we were young when we started our relationship. But I will say that the time that I was single before that was I had the time of my life. I love dating. I would say this to Kevin's face. And I maintain this. And the reason I loved it is because it wasn't always pretty, although sometimes it was really fun. Sometimes it was messy and gritty and gross and uncomfortable. And there's all these different scenarios. But you get to know yourself so much better by giving yourself the opportunity to get to know people and go on dates and figure out what you like and what you don't like and become comfortable in your own skin. So when you meet the right person, you're actually, you know, kind of ready for it. Totally. And I think that dating, when you think about dating, it's like the first thing that comes to mind is like, oh, I'm basically auditioning all these people yeah. to see if they are my potential match. Yeah. But I feel like my experience of dating when I look back was really more of a self-discovery process. Same, because yeah. So much like, oh, is this person right for me? I didn't know what was right for me exactly. when I first started dating. I didn't have an an understanding of the partner that I what I needed, and really the only way for me to learn that was to go through connections with people, and then realizing like, okay, actually that thing that they had is really important to me, or like, no, I'm not a person that can tolerate this thing I just experienced, and you just kind of learn that through time and experience. So I think that dating instead of focusing on on other people, I think it can be kind of a like a celebration. That sounds a little narcissistic, but like a celebration of getting to know yourself and growing and gaining confidence in, you know, the life that you're, you're looking to build for yourself. I agree. And I, what I really liked is like, you know, I didn't always have the greatest amount of self-confidence. I think we'll get into it a little bit more when we talk about like the ugly side of things or like the red flags, but Mm -hmm. you know, each relationship and each experience adds something to your life and to your arsenal of, you know, 
skills and understanding of the world. And and you don't hinge your self-confidence on another person or relationship. What happens is, is that you meet so many different people and you date so many people that you start to practice the idea of not every relationship has to be the be-all end-all. Not every person you meet has to be on audition for whether or not they're going to be the love of your life or the person you marry. You get to grow comfortable in your own skin and develop this confidence that's not necessarily shaken by, you know, how you're presenting yourself to this other person because you come to realize that you're just getting to know other people and they're just getting to know you. And there are going to be tons of things that you like or don't like about the people that you date or tons of things that may or may not feel compatible. And you'll come to find that those other people will feel the same way about you. So it's in a way, it's like you're constantly practicing failure and self-discovery, which I think is one of the best parts of dating. Totally. I couldn't have said it better. I feel like getting started dating, especially like I'm thinking of like the first couple of relationships I had, I can relate to you completely when it's like, when I started dating, I wasn't very, I didn't have a lot of self-esteem. And I remember first thinking like, okay, I'm looking for a person. And then when I found a person that was interested in me, then it was suddenly like, and I was interested in them. Then I feel like my focus shifted so much to being like, how can I make myself someone that, you know, is perfect for them? I was very much like, I saw myself as like this, like need to please kind of person. And then ultimately when that you know, those first couple of relationships ended. I remember just being like, I don't, I can't even explain like why this needs to end, but like this isn't a good match because the person that I'm trying to be is so far from who I just feel and am naturally. And there's nothing wrong with that, that beginning feeling of feeling a little bit of self-doubt and, you know, discomfort in yourself when you're first starting to date. But I think it can really be something that you work on and gain from connecting and communicating with romantic partners. 100% agree. So from here, do we want to transition a little bit into like the rockier parts of relationships? Yeah, I think this is a good junction because I mean, I sort of alluded to it, but there are relationships that are going to serve you. I mean, every relationship is going to teach you something in life, like every friendship, every close relationship with a family member, friend. But Romantic relationships have a way of getting under your skin and consuming you. I mean, I think that naturally as humans, we want to feel connected and we seek out, you know, our partner. We're clearly an animal in the animal kingdom that seeks to find, you know, singular partner for most people over the course of a lifetime. Like that seems to be the goal for everybody. And I think because of that, you know, we find these attachments that sometimes don't always serve us. And as young women and as young people moving out into the world and dating for the first time, there are tons of red flags and tons of things that happen are part of the dating failure, you know, school of life. I think I've certainly been privy to that. I I had a very serious relationship with a much older person coming out of high school and going into college, you know, that affected the way that I started dating when I was in college and, you know, how I felt about myself and everything. Do you, have you ever had any bad relationships that you can think of or any red flags that you want to share, Ashi? 
Yeah, for sure. I think one point I really wanted to talk to, I also want to talk about like the older man relationship you have. Yeah. So we'll talk about that like, next. But one thing I really wanted to make a point of is just being wary of projection mm-hmm. when you're with someone. And I think that this can go both ways. I think that, you know, some relationships don't always just bring out the best in us. And it's just like, no matter what you do or how much self-worth you, work you do, like some people, when we're with them, like we just, I, I don't know. I don't know if you've experienced this, but it's just like, you look at yourself and you're like, I don't like who I am when I'm in this relationship. Like whatever it is, it isn't working. But I think that other people can project onto us based on their own issues or background or insecurities. You know, I've had it both ways. I've had a boyfriend be super, super jealous of me being uh, being around anyone, th- thinking that I'm doing things that I wasn't doing, you know, and I think that that came out of some insecurity that he had in, in himself and maybe even, you know, some feelings of, you know, disloyalty that he was having. But I also saw that in, I've seen it in myself, like at, in a time that I started feeling really distrustful of my partner. It was also a time when I was really starting to kind of feel distrustful of myself and and starting to feel not as connected to that relationship and noticing other people. And I think that we just being wary of like, okay, if there is something going on in this relationship, am I projecting any of my own feelings and self stuff Mm -hmm. onto this person? Or if we're having conflict, maybe they're dealing with something personally that they're projecting onto me. Yeah, totally. I think this kind of comes full circle with what we were talking about earlier about how relationships are reciprocal and require empathy. It even translates into situations like this. I mean, you can have a relationship where you're just not feeling it or like the relationship I was talking about earlier where I didn't have a lot of self-confidence. So in that particular relationship, I was projecting my insecurities to the point that my partner actually had no idea whether or not I was like even invested and asked me, you know, if I liked him or not. And I think that's significant because it goes both ways. Like you could be in a relationship with a partner who seems completely detached and you have that gut feeling, but you have no idea why. And some of these things might be projections of their own insecurities or their own detachment from the relationship because they feel like they're starting to wander or not feel as connected. I think that some of the like big trigger words that we've been hearing recently that like we've been getting questions about from listeners are things like grooming, gaslighting, aggression, codependency. Like those are the big, I think, red flags or conflicts that we wanted to talk about in the context of this episode because relationships are sticky and they're not perfect and they shouldn't be. And, you know, as we talked about our relationships with our husbands and partners earlier, like, you know, I think long-term relationships just tend to move into times of flux and that's natural because you're growing together and you're moving through different phases of life. But there is a line, you know, and there are, there is such thing as like having intuition about why something is not going well. Yeah, we wanted to address some of those things as well. Yeah, I think it's helpful. I mean, sometimes these words get a little buzzy mm-hmm. and it's hard to kind of like, you know, once you hear something, like you're looking for it everywhere in your life. So say, follow your gut before you start like labeling everything, you know, as this or that. But I think it's helpful to know the definition of some of these things. 
for one of them, we wanted to talk about grooming. And in both of our experiences, this happened, you know, when we were really young and, you know, early in the dating game. And we were approached by men who were in a different stage of life, just older than Mm -hmm. us. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with dating someone older or younger than you. But I think that when you're in completely different stages of maturity, it can lead to some issues. In my experience, I didn't have actual relationships with these men, but I was in college and I was very, very motivated to find like a career path. You know, I was going out and interviewing and, you know, going to career fairs and different things. And, you know, in two different instances, one was like a recruiter that, you know, groomed me, which is really like, um, I'm like, how would you define? I think setting somebody up for something in a, in a semi-manipulative way, like, you know, an older person seeing a situation or a scenario that they could manipulate to their own advantage, I think is really what grooming is. And it comes into play, like, especially in these relationships where you have older men or women who look at less experienced or slightly more naive individuals and think to themselves, well, I could really mold this person to be exactly what I want or need them to be. And you see it a lot in relationships. Like I love your point of there are relationships with older and younger people that work really well. But I think what we're being specific about is young women or young individuals like just coming out of like the teen years and like just learning how to live independently. You're much more vulnerable and emotionally like able to be manipulated at that point because you're still developing like you're still learning things about yourself in the world you haven't experienced enough to really have an opinion about work or careers or the world until you've actually like gone out and done that and then you have this class of people who are you know late 20s or 30s who are much older and beyond that stage and i think specifically target younger people in order to manipulate them into you know being the type of partner that they want, which is quite different than, you know, being like 30 and meeting somebody that's older and like being ready to like settle down with them. Yeah. I mean, in, I mean, actually I can think of like three different instances and all three of those instances that happened to me where I was sort of like blindsided by, oh, actually this man is like trying to date me when I was much younger than them and not meeting them in a context that was anywhere near romantic in my mind. All three of those situations, they initiated contact by expressing admiration of me or my potential or my talent or anything that I was like, if I was going into like my contact with them because I wanted to pursue a job or make a connection professionally or learn something professionally, you know, the compliments and the grooming that was happening was really about like, oh, yes, you're really going to succeed here. Let me help you with your resume. Let me do this. Let me do that to really help you because you're like a star and all this stuff, you know. And then you don't realize it until later. It catches your attention as a young, immature person where it's like, oh, my gosh, like this person really wants to help me. And then I found myself in situations, you know, after talking with them and kind of thinking that it was going one way and like, oh, do you want to like go to dinner you know, or this or that. And I actually had a really unfortunate situation with with one who I won't name, but was a professor. And when I ended up not going down a a path with him that 
you know, he turned around and after the fact was really mad and was like, oh, you have no potential. Like you're going to be out of a job in six months. And this, and like all these things that I, like I had so invested in hearing from him. I was like, wow, this person's older and wiser yeah. and successful and thinks that I'm really smart and have potential. And then like the second they're not getting what they want, they're like, oh, you're, you know, worth nothing. And as a young person, it can be so damaging. Like I was so grateful to have other friends and my parents to kind of bounce this experience off of because they were like, whoa, red flag. Mm-hmm. You know, like that person did not want to help you or to do this. Like they were very selfishly interested in you. And thank God that you like were able to create space there. Yeah. I think a really important distinction here too is like, so for me, like I've always felt very mature for my age. And so I think an important distinction in grooming is not just like the big age difference, but it's also that quality of the other person saying, I need, I want to teach you this because I know the world in this way and you do not. And you have, like you said, like it could be in the form of somebody saying, you have such great potential or you're this and that. And they build you up and build you up and say, but I can teach you how to be better. And it's like this very savvy, manipulative way of somebody kind of manipulating the way that you think about yourself, like building you up in this like emotionally abusive way that's not obvious at first. It's actually very insidious. But then, you know, trying to teach you how to be or like, you know, explaining that they have qualities to offer you or like a career path that they can offer you. Um, You know, for me as a teenager, that came in the form of a romantic relationship with a person who you know, wanted to show me the world and teach me, you know, how to be a certain girlfriend because, you know, I was so smart and like so misunderstood. And as a teen, like that feels very alluring. You like for those of you who feel like you're older than you actually are to hear somebody that you want to be romantically interested in tell you all of these things, it's a very easy trap to fall into. The flip side of this is now being in my 30s and having surpassed the age of that other person when we were in the relationship, like looking back, being a a 25-year-old, 26-year-old and thinking about dating like, you know, a 16 or 17-year-old is a very bizarre thing for me because when you see it the other way around, you realize, oh my goodness, like those people, regardless of how mature they are, like 16-year-old, 17-year-old like teenagers are in a different stage of life than somebody who's 24, 25, 26 and upward, you know. Those individuals, those adults should really be focusing on, you know, like career and friendships and like establishing themselves in the world. And so it's worth second guessing, it's worth thinking about something again when you're being approached by somebody much older who's offering to you know, whatever it is, offering a relationship, offering a career path, offering a job, thinking a little bit more closely about what their end game is and like what they benefit out of it is worth a little bit more time. And obviously Asha and I are not experts, but there is something to listening and listening to your gut and, you know, standing strong in your convictions and being careful being wary yeah. in relationships and not not falling into traps so easily. I think a good sort of mental test to try to identify these situations, if you're confused, which a lot of these techniques, you know, they lead to confusion in the person that's more vulnerable. But I think a good mental test 
is to look at your relationship or friendship or whatever it is with this person. And if it seems to be that there is like a contract being established where like, oh, if you spend time with me, I will show you this or I will give you this. If it feels really like a like a contract, like if you do this, you will get this. Be wary of it. You know, just it might not be anything, but I think that just paying attention to like, how is this reciprocity happening? Like, what am I providing? What are they, you know, also providing? And, and is it like a, you have to do this in order for me to like teach you how to be, you know, older or wiser or whatever. If you, if there feels like a, a real kind of contract vibe to it, second guess. It. Yeah, for sure. Which leads us also into gaslighting. I mean, you hear this word a lot. I, I think we wanted to address grooming because there was a lot of tea being spilled with this new Demi Lovato album and, how, you know, all these new stories are coming out about how common this is. I think the predecessor to grooming was gaslighting, which we hear about all the time now. And it's, again, another form of emotional manipulation to sort of fit a narrative that works for the person who's doing the gaslighting. And that's like a more subtle form of, it's not a form of grooming, but it's another subtle form of like emotional abuse or like passive aggressiveness where, you know, I think in light of how adamant we are about the fact that communication is so key, part of that is understanding when somebody is trying to manipulate what you're communicating or what your intentions are. I've certainly been in situations where I've said one thing and then the person is, you know, trying to make me second guess myself. A really specific example, that particular relationship that I was in as a young girl, like that other person was consistently having other relationships on the side. And I remember one day like coming over and seeing like lipstick marks on like the shower and but I'm five feet tall. And the particular place that these lipstick marks were would have been like physically impossible for me to personally do. But in trying to explain to my partner at that time, like, hey, I'm pretty sure you're cheating on me. Like, what's going on here? And trying to like have a conversation where I was heard that other person would constantly do things like say, no, those are yours. Or remember like the other night you were cleaning, you were leaning over this. It's like they're trying to re-manipulate the situation to make you second guess something that you know to be true or something that you're trying to say. And that's a simple but very specific example of how that can show up. But it, it can also show up in the form of you being like, well, I feel really sad about this situation that's happening and having somebody discredit you and say, are you feeling sad or are you feeling angry because, you know, you're emotionally connected to X, Y, and Z? You know, gaslighting can not always be deliberate, but I think it's something that we should continue to be wary of, especially in relationships where you're already feeling like it's not the right fit. I think that, I mean, there's just, there's so many small like, you know, gaslighting can be in this like big dramatic thing where it's like, oh my gosh, like this happened. And, you know, I was being gaslit, you know, throughout time. But it can also be as simple as like being in a relationship where someone, you know, is a name caller. I think that name calling in relationships is a really, it's a form of gaslighting because it could be like someone, you're like, oh, I feel really sad when this happened or whatever. And then someone be like responding and saying like, well, Maybe you're just depressed or like maybe you're just having PMS and you're on your period. 
you know, or like just, just saying that, or I think anytime someone in a relationship calls someone else crazy, it irks people, you know, it, it turns them into, it makes people defensive when they're being name called, but that, that defense comes from a feeling of feeling attacked, maybe second guessing how you are, you know, thinking like, oh, am I really crazy or depressed or selfish you know, or all these different things. Like when someone calls names, I think it's a, it's a kind of textbook form of gaslighting. And there's really just no, no space for name calling in relationships, period. Yeah, I agree. Moral of the story, do not let somebody make you second guess what you know to be true or how you're feeling, et cetera. So what do we do when we have all of these situations or scenarios where your intuition or your gut is telling you that the relationship's not moving in the right direction. And it doesn't actually have to be so dramatic. Like not every relationship ends on a note of grooming or gaslighting or, you know, passive aggressiveness. Sometimes you just get that feeling that you're not connected or not really into the other person or the other person's not really into you. And it leads down the road to eventually having to sever ties romantically which is also a huge part of relationships and how they function. Breakups. Okay. Well, I think there's an important distinction. We were going through some really big red flags, yeah. like you realize that you're being groomed or gaslighting is going on or one that we didn't mention, any form of aggression, whether it's emotional or especially you know physical aggression, whenever that's showing up in a, in a relationship, these are all red flags where it's like end, end that relationship. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, Abort that mission. kind of <laughs> Yeah, it looks a little bit different than like a respectful, like we got a part ways relationship, mm -hmm. like you're not, this isn't my forever ma or whatever it is. But that form, I think ending a relationship that has made you feel unsafe by any of those things, honestly, I feel like the best way to do that kind of breakup is short, sweet, and like firm. And supportive, you know? by the way, like because these emotionally distressful relationships will will be the situations that are more likely ma to make you second guess yourself and your convictions. And I think it's really important to have a support system around you so that you don't feel like you're crazy and you cannot be targeted and told that your decision is the wrong decision. Because it takes a lot of strength and courage to stand up to somebody that is basically abusing you, whether it's physically, emotionally, etc. And so having a, a strong support system to be there next to you so that when you actually are walking away from this big fat red flag, you have like an asha to be like, okay, you can do this. It's going to be fine. It's going to be painful, but it, this is the right thing to do. Or, you know, your mom or your sister, your dad, brother, whoever, just lean on. Support. Totally. Talking about earlier, like there's, this, there's a distinction between like airing your grievances with other people and then like finding someone who you know and trust and being like, hey, this is making me feel really weird or unsafe. Does this sound wrong to you? Or like, do you see an issue with this? Or should I seek help here? Finding someone you really trust and talking through an issue with your relationship, I think is appropriate, especially in these, these situations. I also want to backtrack. I said that kind of relationship should be short, sweet, and, you know, bold or whatever, not sweet. You don't have to be sweet, <laughs> you know, short and bold and creating boundaries. You know, when you do end that relationship, I think it's also important, you know, especially if you feel unsafe to say that like, please do not contact mm -hmm. me, you know, 
or find, sometimes we have to, you know, unfortunately, not in a romantic context, but I've had to establish a restraining order before just to really create, you know, a strong physical or even legal boundary with someone. We have situations in life that just present that need. So not short and sweet, just short to the point, firm, supported, you know, and full full of boundaries when necessary. But when we're breaking up, you know, there are other breakups that happen and they're not dramatic and running out the door, like in the movies or throwing suitcases over the balcony. You know, I've had a a lot of, you date a lot of people, you end up having a lot of breakups, whether it's like a six month relationship or like a three year relationship. You know, sometimes we hit a point where after a lot of self-reflection, we realize that we need to move on and we have to learn from some other situation or another connection to another person. So first we'll talk about like breaking up with someone. And then I think it'd be helpful to go through um, like getting broken up with just some kind of like tips and feelings and experiences that we've had in both of those settings. Our points for breaking up, obviously, I think the most important thing is to spend time on your own when you're starting to feel like there's just more wrong than right when you're spending time with someone for whatever reason taking some space and being with yourself, whatever that looks like, whether you're journaling or going for walks or whatever it is, spending more time with your friends or family and getting back to yourself to really realize how you're feeling and why you think you're feeling that and what you want next. And then once you've kind of made your decision to break up, I think it's also so important that when you're approaching that conversation, you expect and be ready for some pushback, like questions about why, you know, and then maybe even some convincing that like, you know, the person thinks you're wrong that, and it's hard sometimes because I've had situations where I'm breaking up with someone. I'm so, I know, because by the time you're making that conversation happen, you know, in the break up position, when you're, you're breaking up, you are so far past. You've thought about it. Yeah. You are firm. But when you're in that scenario and someone's crying and everything, it's easy to start second guessing yourself. It's almost harder in that scenario, too, because it's you're not breaking up with somebody because of this big, huge like grievance. It's just that it's run its course and you internally know like this is not the right space for me anymore. But I think in those spaces, because you have respect and like adoration for the other person still when they start to provide pushback, you like, there's a part of you, at at least for people like Asha and I, where you're just like, oh, am I making the right decision? Like, should I stay? Because this is so heartbreaking for the other person. So I think this is a really important point to lean into. Like it sucks to make someone feel bad, whether or not you see a future with them. Like when you've had intimate time in a relationship with someone, And especially if they haven't wronged you in any way, but you just need to like move on. It sucks. It really does suck to be the person that is breaking up with. I think in many cases, as much as it sucks to be broken up with, you know, so preparing for that conversation is really hard. On the flip side, you know, if you are being broken up with, and it's especially hard if it's like you're being kind of blindsided by it. But if you are being broken up with, when someone sits down and has that conversation with you, just keep in mind that if someone is breaking up with you, they have really, in most cases, thought it through. So take a breath, even though it's really hard to maintain, you know, your composure and everything, like try to remember that like at the end of the day, you need to be a self-respecting person. And sometimes that might just be like, okay, I'm blindsided by this. 
I need some time. I'm going to, I'm going to leave, you know, and just getting yourself out of that situation. Like maybe you want clarity of like, okay, why are you breaking up with me? Or can I have some, some clarity so I can at least like move forward and Mm -hmm. close this chapter. Sometimes in the moment when you're being broken up with, that's not the time to get that clarity. You know, if you can get it in the moment and you can keep your composure and then exit fine. But like, if you can't, sometimes it's better just to take that step back to take a deep breath. And honestly, like Ash and I talked about this earlier too. When you're being broken up with, you know that the other person's thought it through, like Asha said. So that's really all you need to know. Like in the words of my dad, like that's all you need to know about the other person. Because once you get to that point, the only thing to do is to take a step back and pause. Honestly, like if it's the type of relationship that's meant to be like you might be thinking in that moment, it will return to that eventually. More often, I think what you'll find is it's just not the right space for you and not the right person. There's a lot of other people out there in the world and there are a lot of other great experiences that you have to look forward to. It's going to be a mixed basket no matter what you do. That's just life. Like life is about balance and and that comes in the form of good relationships, bad relationships, good things, great things, bad things, sad things. And and so when somebody is presenting you with I think that we need to take a break or we need to break up, it's a good junction for you to take a step back as hard as it may be, like look for your support people, look for things that comfort you. But take the time to be like, okay, I'm not right for that person. So what's next for me? What's important for me? Like, how do I reground myself? What are my goals in life? And this goes back to dating a lot of people and, you know, getting really comfortable with communicating because that sticky junction is exactly the junction where you need to employ all the tools that you've been developing from dating and learning more about yourself and taking the time to just be okay sitting with yourself as a singular person and not having your existence hinge on that other person who might be breaking up with you for whatever reason. It just, life is sticky. Relationships are messy. They're not perfect. It takes a while to like get into the cadence of having a really strong relationship. And even then, even when you're married, it takes daily work. One of the things that I get asked a lot by younger cousins or friends who are, you know, just now like finding their people is, you know, how do you know it's the right person? Or how do you know that it's going to be the right fit when you move in? Or or how do you know that like the marriage is going to last forever? And frankly, the answer is you don't. The way that I process my relationship and live my relationship and the way that I find it to be the most successful is I remove that expectation of perfection. I know and try to feel very deeply that relationships that are worthwhile are going to take a lot of work and that being married is a commitment to somebody that you have to wake up. And I think this is true of any relationship. You don't have to be married, but it's a commitment where every day you wake up and you say, okay, yeah, I still want to work on this and be the best person I can be for myself and for this other person. And I'm going to accept the ways in which they're growing and learning as well, because that's what you're doing. You're picking somebody to be a solid partner to you that you are going to be a solid partner for. It's reciprocal. It's dirty. It's messy. It's not always perfect. Anger and 
bickering and, you know, all the other emotions that you experience in your daily life translate into these relationships that you have. And, um, and I think this success is really in like, you know, how do we communicate through it? How do we work through it? And how do we get up every day and like still choose to find joy with one another? And if you're not doing that, then, then fast forward to minute like 110 of this episode <laughs> to the breakup part. <laughs> It's uncomfortable. And I mean, whether whether you're having an uncomfortable conversation when you're breaking up or you're just really trying to work through something with someone, like you said, Keish, it's like you don't know where it's going to go. It's just making sure you and your partner are like on the same page and committed to that like yeah. goal. Yeah. Okay. What I love about what Keish was saying there was that, you know, you don't know that every day forever is going to be this perfect relationship with whoever you're with. But the things that you can do, you know, when you're in a relationship or you're seeking a relationship is wake up each day, connect with yourself. Remember that you can only control your own actions and reactions and your choices as you're being with other people in the world. And then use your communication and behavior to commit to someone day by day with the little things, you know, that you know will make them feel seen and heard and you just go from there. A thousand percent. Also, and I think we say this in a lot of different scenarios and we've definitely taught this to our girls at our events in person, failure is the best way to learn about yourself, to persevere. And I think that also translates into relationships. The worst times that Kevin and I have had in our relationships have shown me exactly who we both are as people. And I think that not being afraid to have these conflicts or, you know, arguments or go through tragedy together, those are the moments where you really come to understand who the other person is, not just in the good times, but in the bad. And I think it, you know, when it's the right person and the right partnership, you guys come to, you know, grow into this cadence with each other where, the argument can happen, the tragedy can happen, but at the end of the day, your partner's still standing next to you, like choosing to forge forward. And I think there's something really cool and beautiful about that. So take all the good with the bad, because who wants a perfect relationship with somebody who's just like them? So we had kind of a long and winding road here with our conversation on romantic relationships, but we felt like it would be better just to kind of have it be an organic conversation because that's how our relationships are formed most of the time. And again, a lot of these things can be applied to like our our friendships and personal relationships as well. There's a lot of obvious, you know, crossover as we're forming connections with people in the world, but we thought it would be fun to sit down for another episode on relationships just chatting together and chatting with you, our audience. We'd love to continue this little theme of having some, you know, just combo episodes with Keish and I on different topics. So keep contributing. Keep um, sending those questions in. Keep giving us feedback. We love it. And we're open books. Thank you again. If you've made it this far through this episode, I know it's a little bit of a longer one, but we're so happy that you're here and appreciate you listening and we can't wait to catch you again next week on meet Bridget. thanks everyone and that's our show if you liked what you heard today please like subscribe to follow and share meet bridget with your circle the best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast 
We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesome?